Last night, a NASA satellite lost orbit and came down in a remote part of southern Utah. When that sucker came down, it killed a lot of people. I mean, no one's saying infectious outbreak. Could be a gas or some kind of a virus. We suspect a biological agent now codenamed Andromeda. Welcome to Now Playing's Andromeda Strain Retrospective Series. There'll be a thousand mutations. Andromeda will spread everywhere. They'll never be rid of it. Part of the Now Playing Viral Outbreak Movie Review Series. Don't be scared. I'm a doctor. Hosted by Jacob. What have you got to fight this? Stuart. How much does he know about Project Scoop? As far as we can tell, nothing yet. And Arnie. I just wanted to inform you that all members of your team have been cleared and are now being called in. You'll get complete details on everything when your team is assembled. This podcast may contain detailed plot spoilers and harsh language. I recommend calling a wildfire alert. Listener discretion is advised. I guess you better go in and have a look. Today we're discussing The Andromeda Strain, starring Arthur Hill, James Olsen, Kate Reed, David Wayne, Paula Kelly, George Mitchell, directed by Robert Wise. This is the now playing co-host who has to be sterilized for national safety, Arnie. And Stuart. And this is the co-host who's been parboiled, irradiated, and xenon-flashed, Jacob. We're at the 70s, guys. The world was really starting to think, man, we got all these infectious diseases licked. Smallpox, polio, measles, all of them done. All the big viral threats out of the way. Then all of a sudden, on America's birthday, 1976, we get Legionnaire's disease. It didn't come from space, but it did come from (laughs) out of nowhere and became this big epidemiological mystery. Isn't that like something soldiers got? Like that, that's why it's called Legionnaire's disease? No, actually, well, the Legionnaires were all these vets that were like, what could be more patriotic than going to the nicest hotel in Philadelphia during the July month on the bicentennial? And they walked away with dry cough, pneumonia symptoms, and 30 of them died. It had a kill rate of about 15%. And nobody could figure out why, because it only hurt the Legionnaire members. Only they got sick. The people at the hotel, the staff, they were fine. And so, like, it became this big, for years, they talked about, like, well, is someone trying to target our veterans? It broke out again at a VA clinic. Yeah, why isn't this a movie? (laughs) Yeah, well, it could be. I mean, it is a good mystery. They're they're like, well, why does it keep hurting our vets? Bob Dylan wrote a song about it, Legionnaire's disease. He's alleged, and many people alleged, it was some, like, crazy Nam guy that was, like, trying to get back at the old vets or something like that. You know, it was that time that we would instantly think, oh, if our old soldiers are dying from some mysterious illness and the CDC can't find answers, yeah, it must be a terrorist. But it it hurt Gerald Ford's presidential bid. I mean, I think Nixon hurt it more, but he didn't get reelected because of it. People at the CDC got fired. The hotel got closed. But eventually they figured out it does not target just legionnaires. Legionnaires tend to smoke. They tend to be older men because they fought in wars. They may not be the healthiest. They were prone to respiratory problems. And this virus was born because the hotel was so nice. Because it did have all of this lavish, you know, like light bulbs designed by Thomas Edison and all the presidents have stayed here. They were bragging that they had this new water cooler ventilation system to have the best water pressure and the best air conditioning for July because it's so hot not knowing that they were actually cooking a water that had a bug in it to the temperature that made it multiply to much more than any of the other hotels. And you were just pouring water on yourself if you were a guest. 
God. You were just dousing yourself in Legionnaire bacteria. And the reason why the people in the hotel didn't get it was, well, they were a little bit younger, but they had just been exposed to the water for a long time. They had built up a tolerance to it. But you blow in all of these old guests that have smoking issues. And yeah, it was really became this big deal. Again, it wasn't an alien from space, but it felt like that. And it really did start a new era of bugs we hadn't seen before. We're going to talk about AIDS and Ebola in the weeks ahead. Well, you you keep making these references to aliens. I did not know we were going to be talking about aliens and drama to strain. Like to me, it was a pretty notable sci-fi film. Like I had heard it referenced a lot. I had never seen it. It's one of those, oh, someday I'll get around to it. I guess today's that day. But aliens, I was not expecting that. Michael Crichton, I thought we're going with hard science here. I thought it was just going to be a viral outbreak or a bioweapon or something. Yeah, I had no idea about the movie we were going to watch. Andromeda Strain, Michael Crichton. I'd seen clips from this, various places, and I just thought it was a lab science thriller movie. I had no idea that it was going to go batshit. Michael Crichton always has batshit in it. I mean, dinosaurs coming back to life, that's kind of batshit, right? Yeah, through science and DNA, not aliens reconstructing them. Well, I mean, believe it or not, this was actually an issue. NASA actually did worry that now that we're going to the moon and shit, what if we bring something back? It's a fun story I read about when they brought the moon rocks back they were handling them with these gloves they got a tear in it and the people ran like they were supposed to go in quarantine they're like oh you might be infected with something we don't know what's (laughs) on those rocks they ran out of the base their impulse was not oh I need to isolate and protect mankind it was you're not gonna lock me up (laughs) and god knows if there had been a space bug on those moon rocks it would have just spread all over this world it's really funny because I was at a museum in Washington DC last year it's like touch the moon rock yeah we can do that now we know that (laughs) but we didn't know it then I'm surprised you could actually touch it now I know they still keep them a lot of them sealed up maybe just to keep them from deteriorating because they still do look at these moon rocks but I get that you're worried about maybe a germ that lives on the moon not actual like tiny aliens <laughs> i was worried about the germs from the other people who touched the moon <laughs> <laughs> yeah probably more worrisome maybe i just still have strange love in my head but i do think about that imagery of like yeah we're just sticking our thing out there into the space <laughs> in an area that's never been before this void do we have the proper prophylactic one i mean it is a question worth asking like could we bring something back is a valid still scientists still have debates about it it's not a popular subject matter but they do talk about that there is real risk and it goes all the way back in science fiction if you remember hg wells how did war of the worlds end it ended the other way i mean we just happened to have viruses here that killed the martians it was Crichton's idea to say well what if it happened in reverse And who was Crichton at this time? Andromeda Strain is his first big breakthrough. It's a book that comes out in 1969 when he's just finishing being a Harvard med student. And he wrote books to kind of pay his way through school. He wanted to be a writer, but was told that he wasn't good enough. And so he just kind of wrote potboiler fiction based on the stuff he was learning in med school. And this was an idea that kind of came to him partly because of H.G. Wells and partly because, yeah, medical thrillers. Like, you can even see it in this movie. He brings a whole lot of scientific knowledge to the genre. He's not going to just fake it. Things that are done in montage where you see scientists shake a test tube and we go, oh, yeah, they figured something out. He's going to walk you through this process if you read the book. Now, I did read it for the first time just a few days ago. I'm assuming you guys not knowing the plot nope. <laughs> had no idea. Okay. The fun thing about the book is it's just littered with graphs and charts 
they make it feel like you're holding a dossier for something top secret. Like you feel like you're opening up something conspiratorially, like that really happened. They give you the impression this was a real event that happened and Crichton is just documenting what's known about it, worked with all the participants, and here you go. So it has a fun real world docudrama thrill to it. I mean, and I do feel like as someone that's not really a science student, I was very convinced and moved and intrigued by what I learned about viruses and space reading the novel. Yeah, I think it falls into that techno thriller genre where, yeah, you're going to get a lot of the technical side. And that could be if it's a subject I'm interested in, like I'm interested in this stuff so I could get into it when you get like Tom Clancy and he's just going to talk about submarines and planes and military tactics, like super detailed. I don't care. And so I kind of tune out. So I'm always on the edge with the techno thriller. Like if it's a subject I like, I want to learn about it. I want to get into that technical side. But if I don't have that interest, I just I want to avoid it. I love a good techno thriller. They're so hard to do, though, because so often, especially these days, it's people sitting around a computer. Yes. And how tense is it pounding the keys, you know? You don't want to see real life hacking in a movie because it's super boring. Totally. Although Mr. Robot did it. Mr. Robot did found a way to do it. I agree. Yes. <laughs> but when it comes to this, my problem is I can never believe the science because where is the line between science and fiction? And in fact, the way this movie starts with this beginning a disclaimer about how it's not breaking top secret classified documents that are about to come out anyway, it had me Googling. Is some of this based in reality? Yeah. Project Scoop. I'm like, oh, this is all based on real stuff. No, they're going to Coen Brothers this thing up and fake us out. And I found out that there are entire areas of study, real scientists who come out against this because of blurring the lines between fact and fiction and making it difficult for lay people to understand real science. Now, they come out against Andromeda Strain, you mean? Andromeda Strain is one of many scientific thrillers that they say blurs the line a little too much. I have read that like CSI has ruined juries because they all expect the evidence to be as solid as what you see on CSI and it never is. Yeah, that may be fair, but I do feel like this book got pretty good marks for having the breadth and the reach to be able to talk about what Crichton does while still being entertaining. I mean, does it dumb down the science? Maybe only some. I mean, again, I'm not a scientist, so I'm not qualified to say, but I did go and I sought out essays, things people had written, other acclaimed scientists, Nobel Prize winners, and they more or less gave this high marks, which is, I think, why this kid who really hadn't done anything to earn it suddenly was the attention of Hollywood, and they paid him a hefty salary to buy the rights to this book, and they got none other than Robert Wise to direct this movie. You guys know Robert Wise? Oh, of course. We reviewed him with Star Trek The Motion Picture. Oh, come on. What about Sound of Music? They got the Sound of Music guy for this techno thriller? Yeah, his career is really varied. He goes all the way back to Citizen Kane. He was the editor on Citizen Kane, and then he made horror movies. Then he made Day the Earth Stood Still. Then he made musicals like West Side Story and Sound of Music and melodramas. He's really done everything. And some people say that he has no style, that he changes what he needs to do based on the material. And this is very different from... Yeah, obviously The Sound of Music or The Haunting, which is a really good haunted house movie. I hope we get to one day. But interesting that like he, of all the people that could have made the Andromeda strain, I would think of someone maybe younger, hipper, would want to tackle this. And I definitely feel like you would do what we complain about Hollywood doing all the time. 
make the cast look really sexy and young and <laughs> nope not this cast <laughs> throw away all the research and just get to some chase scenes like I, it's impressive to me that the book that i read is largely retained intact by robert wise and filmed and put on screen you know you say he has no style there are definite scenes in here that reminded me of Star Trek The Motion Picture, and we'll talk about them. <laughs> well, I think I know what you mean by that. The, if the slow-moving, why are we focused on these people sitting around and not doing anything, <laughs> that certainly is a complaint about that first Star Trek movie. It's also worth pointing out, this movie came out the same year as Omega Man, which is another movie about viral outbreak, a lot more exciting, and I think probably a little bit more in the popular sphere, a little more entertaining. This movie made some money. I think it cost a lot they adjusted for now if they were to make it now using the money they had i think they said this is about a 40 million dollar movie which is low for science fiction but not chump change yeah they had to build some elaborate sets here yes and it was nominated for an oscar for those sets as well as editing and lost both of those awards but yeah it was received well and it had a small audience but i think its reputation has grown over time as Crichton became a bigger deal i think this movie became a bigger deal Now, I'd never seen this film before or anything. I didn't even read a plot summary. So when we start talking about aliens, my mind was blown. You guys, have you seen it before? Like I said, this is my first time as well. Yeah, no, I saw it a lot. It was on cable a lot. It was always on. And it was just one of those movies I didn't understand. But given that my dad was... I think he might have even explained this is kind of what he does. <laughs> like, it's not totally true, but as a public... He dodges public- lasers while trying to stop nukes? <laughs> you got the coolest dad ever. <laughs> he was. It would have been really cool if that's what he did. But yes, I mean, he did track, paperwork track, diseases for the state of Illinois. And it helped me understand what he did because it was always kind of nebulous. And so I would always kind of watch it from that vantage point. I just always remember really being impressed with the set and feeling like the end of this movie was most of the movie. Like the wide angle shots and the chase scenes. I remember thinking that it was very, very exciting, which uh, I don't know how (laughs) a six-year-old thought that this movie was, but... You only saw the ending, I guess. <laughs> Maybe that's it. You know how it is when you're a kid, you only watch the parts that you like. You know, like, okay, I'm going to just go away for 30 minutes because this is the dull <laughs> part and I'll come back when he's hanging off the ladder. But yeah, I kind of know this movie, but again, it took reading the book to kind of put it in context and then, yeah, watched it twice, once just as a viewing and then once with commentary. So yeah, I let's talk about it. What is all of this science that Crichton is pushing off as fiction? Arnie, give him the plot. After a satellite crashes in a small New Mexico town, most all the residents instantly drop dead, as do the military men sent to retrieve the satellite. So the government brings together a team of top scientific minds to find out why. The team is surgeon Dr. Mark Hall, played by James Olson, pathologist Dr. Charles Dutton, no, not the star of Rock, played by David Wayne, biologist Dr. Ruth Levitt, played by Kate Reed, and the team's leader, Dr. Jeremy Stone, played by Arthur Hill. Stone and Hall are sent in protective suits to retrieve the satellites, and in the town they find there are two survivors, an old man and a baby. They take both survivors and the satellite to a top-secret underground facility for study. The facility, codenamed Wildfire, is state-of-the-art, having an automatic nuclear self-destruct system should any viral or chemical agents break quarantine. The only key that can disarm the self-destruct system is given to Hall, as he's the supposed odd man out with no wife or kids. The group's research discovers a microscopic crystalline organism in the satellite, 
It's this alien organism, codename Andromeda, that is responsible for killing everyone who breathes the air Andromeda has contaminated. Hall discovers the old man survived because he has a high acid content in his blood due to drinking chemicals. The baby, conversely, has a high alkaline content from crying and being short of breath. Both circumstances kill the Andromeda strain, providing a way to neutralize it. More, the scientists realize the crystal organism feeds on energy, and a nuclear blast would give it so much energy it could kill all life on Earth. But Andromeda also mutates into a secondary form that doesn't kill humans, but eats away at rubber. Having destroyed the seals in quarantine, Andromeda escaped the facility, and the nuclear self-destruct is initiated. Hall dodges lasers for reasons <laughs> to use this key and stop the self-destruct with only seconds to spare. And we find out the military is seeding clouds to send Andromeda into alkaline-rich seawater, making it harmless as credits roll. Yeah, and as they start, you've already pointed out, they try to retain that quality of the book that we're experiencing, truth. That there was four days in history of a major American scientific crisis, and that many people attached to a Project Scoop inform these filmmakers on how to tell the story properly. That worked. Apparently, a lot of people that saw this movie did believe. It was pre-internet. They couldn't look it up. They really did believe this happened. No, it worked on me. It's like, we talked to this base and Project Scoop. I'm like, oh, okay, I'll, I'll look that up later. When they show up in the film, I'm like, oh, okay, this is all just fiction. But it did get me to, again, pay a little bit more attention. I'm like, oh, they're telling us they've actually consulted scientists and military experts about this film. And that's Crichton's raison d'etre. I mean, he will always be the guy that does heavily research. He'll never just wing it and kind of bullshit you. He will research his subject, know it thoroughly, so that he can go on long digressions. I mean, again, read that book of Jurassic Park. He ain't talking about dinosaurs. It is just pages and pages <laughs> of chaos theory. He just loves that kind of stuff. And it's all over his first novel. I loved it when I read Jurassic Park. I like Crichton's writing in general. You know, it comes a little bit later, but we eventually realize that this is all being framed by a Senate hearing. There are these senators in April 1971 asking the head of this project scoop what happened back in February for four days. We are to understand, like, there's no suspense about it not resolving well. Like, again, it's a true story. There's an audience to see it. Therefore, this Andromeda virus didn't get out. So just think of it as a recounting of an outbreak. But as we start, I realize something is up. I mean, we see military men surveying a dead city that at its most lively had a population of, what, 68 people? Yeah. Piedmont, New Mexico. It happened to just be lucky enough. I mean, New Mexico is known for alien encounters, right? Roswell, like it just happened to have a UFO fall out of the sky and land there. And that is why these guys are here. They're here to reclaim their satellite for Project Scoop. And they're scanning and finding, yeah, no heat signals of any life at all. And the movie does something, I think, that's kind of nifty. They cut back to a California base that's monitoring this team, and we experience what they experience almost like a radio play. We won't actually see what attacks them. We're told it's something white, but we know and probably have the impression that there's some kind of monster or space alien or something in this town that's causing havoc. Yeah, I thought this was really effective how they did this, that we only see the base and their reaction as they're listening to these two guys who are looking for the satellite in New Mexico and like this horror teleplay that you're listening to and builds the suspense for me because you're not seeing anything. You're, it's only reaction shots. 
Yeah, I really liked this scene. Initially, my thought was it was a little bit cheap, but then the more it went on, the more I'm like, it is more horrifying to be in the POV of these lackadaisical military people. One of them was just reading a magazine and like, yeah, go ahead, you know, not really paying much attention. And then as they all come to attention and we just see this oscilloscope going, it's acting like a wave meter and... As they speak, it blips and moves and it gets more and more suspenseful. And this is a hell of an opening. I get really gripped into what is getting them. I know it's a disease because it's part of this series we're doing, but what is it and what is it doing to them? Yeah, and it's just a good rule for suspense. We've seen it in Jaws and Psycho. You didn't see the knife go in. You only see the fin. To hint at the danger makes it a lot more frightening. And given that this is a virus, an invisible enemy, we won't be able to see it until we bust out those electron microscopes at the end. I do think that this is a nice way of playing it. And we do have confirmation that something bad is going on because they instantly send over the plane. And just that shot, that aerial view of bodies that have just dropped where they were standing. I mean, we've seen it a couple times now in these movies, but this virus is so powerful, so potent that you have only three seconds before you completely keel over. Yeah, it made me really think, what could cause that? You know, it's obviously a science fiction movie, but I know Crichton likes to base stuff in fact, so it's got my mind working. It's like, okay, what is doing it? I suppose a mustard gas kind of would, you know, it kind of melts your lungs and causes you to die, but these people look like they fell over. Right, so... You guys, at this point, did you understand that the space probe was there? Did you understand that the threat was extraterrestrial at all? Yeah, I thought, okay, this is a satellite, it's space germs. That's where I was too. I was like, I even was going conspiracy theory, like, was there a biological weapon on the satellite? Because coming into this, my thought was we were dealing with a stand-like situation, that whatever they were fighting was government-made. Yeah, there was a thought at one point that I had that, like, was this intentional against this little New Mexican town to try out whatever bioweapon they're making? But it's on a satellite. Okay, it's space. Yeah, I think that kind of cynicism is where the audience would be. And yeah, it's not so clear cut that everyone probably understands what's going on and what the threat is. That's why they're calling in four experts from all these fields. None of them are astronauts or work in the space program. We got a surgeon, a pathologist, a microbiologist, and a regular biologist. Robert Wise said, and before we complain about it, he wanted nobody. He got them. <laughs> I want actors that nobody's seen before, that nobody has any feeling for. I want them to feel real and look like the way we would think real scientists would be. I don't want to see Raquel Welsh or Jane Fonda sexing it up. I did, in my mind, get this film somewhat confused with China Syndrome, which I have seen but a long time ago, and I thought those actors were the ones in here. And as they're recruiting their people, I think it would mean something if they were recruiting known quantities and, you know, they're pulling out the best. If you get a, you know, Alec Guinness would have been pretty big around this time and things. If you got those people, you'd be like, oh, they're assembling this crew. And, you know, the 70s, we've talked about it, disaster films with ensemble casts. But here I'm looking everybody up. I'm like, who the hell is this? Uh, yeah, I might recognize some of the movies they've been in. I don't recognize their role that they played in them. But I do think that's effective for this film because this is such a procedural, like we're going to go step by step how we're going to deal with this viral outbreak. I don't want to get distracted that it's, you know, using stars of today, you know, George Clooney or whoever, whoever, yeah, Alec Guinness, whoever back then. 
I don't want to be thinking about them because I'm thinking about the procedure in this film and the, and the steps that they're taking to stop this thing. I think that is the star of this film, not the people. So yeah, don't clog it up with movie stars. It is a common observation, many times a complaint, that Michael Crichton doesn't write characters. He writes the science and then he just puts up people to speechify and exemplify aspects of whatever is believed about the science. And I think that's kind of what he's done here. And To better or for worse effect, all these people are rather generic. If there's a character that's a hero, that's the virile manly man that's going to do a little bit of action at the end, and I mean a little, I <laughs> yes. think it's Dr. Mark Hall, which again, keep in mind, Michael Crichton was a med student, so it kind of makes sense that the surgeon would get all the good parts although i don't know why you would call a surgeon to investigate this yeah that seemed a little weird i mean my favorite is dr ruth levitt she feels like the ian malcolm character in this film she's got that sense of humor and is kind of pushing against everyone so none of these are great characters the rest feel pretty generic and they play their part you know i'd read online before i saw this that that role was a male in the book and that they decided to make it a female for the movie and so I am thinking, you know, a Raquel Welch or a Jane Fonda type or something. When I see the female they got, I'm like, well, no, that's not what they were going for. They weren't looking for sex appeal. No, it's realism. <laughs> they were looking for my college ethics teacher, I think. Yeah, I had a chemistry teacher that she's a spitting image of. But yeah, Levitt brings levity. I mean, that's the point. That's why I think you're right. We might like her because she's going to make snarky jokes at the expense of some of these eggheads. You know, she's going to poke fun at some of this technology. When she passes some flashing red lights, she's going to mention it reminds her of her bordello days. I mean, like that kind of humor, frankly, is, is much needed because so much of this movie is dry. Proudly, staunchly nerdy dry. These four characters, they were, what, randomly selected? They don't even know they're part of it? Or do they know they're part of Project Wildfire? Well, I think something happened. In the book, Dr. Jeremy Stone very much knew about it. In this movie, he knows enough about the wildfire lab to have written a letter a couple years ago to President Nixon and said it would be a really good idea to have a place where you could take space particles and examine them free of exposure to the exterior world. And that's the extent, I think, of this movie in linking him to Wildfire. But in fact, this character was based on a real Nobel Prize winner who did make advocation for this and who is portrayed ultimately in the book kind of as an enemy, as a co-conspirator in the sense that they're working on developing this whole project is a front for bioweapons. They do eventually get to that concept. The Nobel Prize winner didn't appreciate that, and so they backed away from that characterization in the movie. They decided not to make Jeremy Stone the full villain. And so that's kind of a loss. I feel like you want the surgeon to have someone to push against here at the beginning. You want someone that maybe does have their own agenda and, and is not thinking about health over maybe the weapons in the military. The thing that got me is as we're getting these people recruited, we're seeing a little bit of their personal life. We see one's a grandfather whose grandkids are there. One is a husband having a party. We see the surgeon who's about to cut into a patient, making me really feel bad for that patient. I hope whoever covers knows what they're supposed to do and not remove a gallbladder when they need to do a kidney. Oh, yeah, but that's Michael Crichton in the background. It's the only on-screen cameo he's ever done. The guy that's subbing for him, that's stepping in, that is actually Crichton. You can't miss him because he's like six foot ten, like he's a giant. But when I think about this kind of movie, 
the go-to will, of course, always be Jurassic Park. And there we had characters, and each of them had their own arc. We had the romance between Laura Dern and Sam Neill, and Sam Neill not liking kids, coming around to be a protector of kids. Here... There's no characters. There is plot and plot only. In many movies we've reviewed, I've groused that the plot is sacrificed in service of character. That is not something I can say here. Yeah, I think what we're told at one point is that Hall, you know, he's a substitute. It was supposed to be some other guy and he was having his appendix removed. And so this is the guy they got. It wasn't even the guy that they wanted. And he is their odd man out because he presumably has no social life. Being a single man, he's thought to not have the attachments to the world that allows him to make hard decisions about arming the nuclear device in the laboratory. We'll talk about it when we get in there. But my point is, I don't feel like any of the other characters are any more attached to their lives than he is. No, Dr. Lovett doesn't want to go because she's really into whatever experiment she's doing. That's her attachment. But it doesn't feel like they're worrying about families. Yeah, I feel like you you could do this a little bit better. And we're going to have an opportunity in a couple weeks. We will get a TV movie remake. And I will be very surprised if we don't spend more backstory and find out that some of these characters had a romance with each other. They're definitely going to have fuller lives. The one this was reminding me of is one we haven't reviewed yet. I don't think there's too many Michael Crichton movies I haven't seen. And the one that kept coming back to me was... One I do not like that I thought I would. Sphere? Oh, yeah, it's terrible. Yeah, it was also so little character going on there. And yeah, awful movie. And that's the feeling I got while they were assembling this team. But damn if I wasn't invested. I'm like, what is this disease? I love the fact that their sh- military is showing up and they're like, we've got a fire. And that's all they need to say. Everybody's dropping everything except for Dr. Ruth. Because they know what they're up against. And if they are leaving their parties and leaving their families to go deal with this, I'm in. I may not care about these people as people, but I want to know what they're fighting because they're protecting me, right? An American citizen. Yeah, you know, Stone probably didn't need too much of an excuse to leave that lame-ass party. He was probably glad to be like, (laughs) see ya, out of here. But I agree. It's a nice, right setup. I mean, it's Hitchcock one time made a movie like this, where every scene was just a bunch of generic characters, and they never came back for another scene. And the whole idea was, instead of following people and their stories, we follow this dossier and this plot. It's called Topaz, and it's not very good, but it, like all Hitchcock movies, it's kind of an experiment. I lump this in that, like we're really just following a virus and these people are perfunctory. And so let's get them to that site. Let's get them to Piedmont, New Mexico. Yeah, when we get to day two with Hall and Stone, I, you know, Robert Wise, we talked about, it, he's done all kinds of films, like from Sound of Music to Star Trek, and you said he's not really associated with the style, but I do think there is a style to this film that helps me stay engaged, like when they're walking around and they're doing split screens, so you see Hall and Stone like looking into buildings, and then you see the dead bodies that they're finding. It is a little weird that when they find a naked woman dead body, like that's when the, the screen zooms in and goes full screen again. <laughs> but it, she had a peace symbol on, and yet somehow this movie's really. A G, by the way. 
I know. Isn't that amazing? This is wow, a G-rated movie. That's crazy. Yeah, with a titty shot. Yeah, but with that lack of characters, the style of this film, I, I get into it. Maybe because it's just it's just kind of a weird film with that because it's so much about the science that when you get these little visual flares and, and experimental things, it, again, it keeps me interested. Yeah, I definitely am creeped out by this town. The idea when they drop in there and they're looking up at that church and then they look down and on the steps is the dead priest and just all of these people. You can see yourself, little kids with playing ball, like everyone just dropped there. And then they get to this old woman and she had enough time to write a suicide note and hang herself. So you start to realize, okay, it didn't kill everyone instantly. Like the guy obviously didn't kill himself by putting his head in the tub, but some people died within seconds. But some of them, there's a larger story here. And so this is really going to be about putting that medical mystery. Why do some live longer than others? Yeah, I think that's a great hook to keep you invested in this mystery is, yeah, when you find the woman who committed suicide, why did she have that time? I Again, that keeps you drawn in, even though these are not the most exciting characters. The thing that gets me is when they find these bodies and they cut into one, they start off by noticing there's no blood anywhere. Vultures have eaten somebody. There's wounds, but no spilled blood. They cut open someone's wrist and... Remember magic sand? <laughs> that yes, <laughs> well, it looks oh, yeah. like red magic sand pours out of it. I'm like, whoa, okay, so their blood has turned to sand. What the hell am I dealing with? How science fictiony is this going to go? It's a little bit more than I expected already. Oh, more than you expected. So you thought this might be a real virus or like have the properties of an Earth virus? Yes. Yeah, I thought this was going to be more hard science. I mean, maybe this is. I don't know. It is. You want more hard science than what we get here? Maybe my viewing is colored by the reading, but... Powdered blood, that's a real thing that could happen? Okay, yeah, I mean, th there is a fantastical element of all Michael Crichton, but, like, he'll spend a long time explaining it away. I oh, no, and, and I'm not complaining that, oh, this is too Star Trek or whatever. It's just, this has a reputation for being this hard science. Eh, it's about alien crystals that turn your blood into powder. Yeah, they're going to spend a lot of time explaining that, and I appreciate it. They're going to get into some science. I'm just saying I don't think it's as hard as people might be led to believe based on the reputation. Agreed. Don't take what I'm saying as a complaint. Take it as shock, because I thought I was getting a virus movie, and I'm getting sand coming out of wrists. I'm like, okay, this isn't going to be what I consider, the, you know, what the rest of our virus movies have been. Somebody sneezes, and we know that they're going to die in the next scene, and they've contaminated everyone around them. We're dealing with something else. I think the virus next week will also be imaginary. I mean, not every virus we're dealing with is one that's really plaguing people. Again, but I think the science around this is pretty solid. Again, I would say that if you read the book, they will spend a lot of time justifying, maybe too much time, justifying the whys and hows of how all of this is. It's a medical mystery. Yes, we've never seen a phenomenon like this before. Blood coagulates within three seconds. They didn't have heart attacks because everyone has pleasant expressions on their faces. They're putting the profile together, and then they hear a baby crying. And I wasn't sure what the sound was. At first, I thought they might have found an animal. Like, was it a calf bleeding? Or what was that sound? Because a helicopter comes down and drowns it out almost immediately. And they're waving for the helicopter to go away so they can hear whatever sound it was again. And I'm thinking the helicopter's going to be like, oh, they're telling me to leave. I'm, I'm going to just leave them there. I thought the same thing. I, I thought they were going to send in the bombs. Like, oh, the, <laughs> the helicopter pilot's like, no, they told me it was really dangerous. They waved me away. We got to bomb it. <laughs> yeah. 
they needed walkie-talkies, I gotta say. Those suits are maybe had an intercom on them. Yeah, how did they get back into contact with the helicopter to come pick them up with the baby? Their suits are airtight. The big thing is they're running out of air. And so if they're airtight, sound travels on air. So they have to already have walkie-talkies for these two guys to talk to each other. Yeah, be that as it may, we get another wrinkle in this mystery there is a survivor here there is a little baby the mother is laying over in the corner it hasn't eaten in 12 hours it's starving they're afraid to even feed this thing because that might be the way that it kills you right so like this poor baby's just gonna have to starve and we're gonna just take him away to the lab and see what's up and then a dude with like a butcher knife pops out of nowhere and i'm not sure this is clear but like he took that butcher's knife to the guy that was driving the vehicle Like the satellite driver has a scar on his head. That was the first time they noticed there's a wound with no blood. It's also said during the radio play segment that something white is coming at them. This man is delusional. He's going around hacking at anything that comes into the town with his butcher knife. Yeah, he believes the government did this to them. I did not realize that it was he who killed them. I thought this was the sound of them dying from the virus. I didn't get that they were murdered. Yeah, and there was one other character, too, that got completely eliminated from the movie. But in the book, there was a cop that just patrolled through the town and kept driving. And they find him later at a diner. It's kind of like mad cow disease. The crystals go to your head and then your thoughts get really weird. And before you know it, he's pulling out a gun and shooting people at a diner. I'm surprised they didn't include that, actually. I feel like this movie probably needs more violent punctuation, but maybe they couldn't get that G rating. They're so happy to go after. <laughs> and Robert Wise, man, Star Trek, the motion picture was G too. Yeah. It's also worth pointing out. They get the capsule back. They actually have this probe that was picked up by the country doctor. He brought it all the way to his desk, opened it, died smiling there. And now they got to figure out, is it out Or is it still in there? We're going to take this back to the lab. We're going to probe it. We're going to look at the baby. We're going to look at this old man and use our four experts to solve this mystery. And that's the movie. So many movies would have that going on in the background while the real movie happened. While you really chase (laughs) things, people really died. Maybe there was an alien, you know, something slithering around or people mutating or something. The shocker is we really are expected to understand the science and pay attention to that. Be entertained by the scientific concepts. It's working for me. I mean, at this point, I'm still very much into this and want to know what's going on. It's a good enough premise that it can survive lack of character. Yeah, the fact that most of the story is about them looking into microscopes and the exciting stuff, like there's this thing about the White House Situation Room and do we just drop the nuke on New Mexico? Oh, we got a treaty with Moscow. Like We can't blow up nukes on our own land, I guess, because of these treaties, which I find funny, just the bureaucracy of everything going on. But by the time you get to the end of the film, you know why this is important that they're trying to delay these nukes. They didn't know that, though. But to me, you do get these little funny asides. Maybe they're not supposed to be, but the fact that we can't just blow up our own land because of Moscow. Not only that, but you see who's in charge, which I think we see today. The scientists might have all the answers, but ultimately it's the politicians that are going to implement what happens. It is Stone that keeps saying, why haven't they dropped the bombs? He's always asking about the procedure. It's a 712. Why haven't they called in the 712? 
And if the scientists were in charge, they would, within minutes, just wipe away this town and clear any infection. You know, they're gassing the buzzards, afraid the birds are going to go off and carry this disease. The nuke's going to be more effective than that. But because the president, and this is President Nixon, like, is afraid of dropping bombs, didn't know that part. <laughs> but you got to think any president, no matter what you think of them, is hesitant to nuke their own soil. Especially if it's their first term. It's going to hurt your re-election. <laughs> yeah, I, immediately, the, the bombs that Nixon drops were in Cambodia. But again, that was a big scandal for his presidency here. And At any rate, yes, that is showing us that these scientists, while having an influence are not able to control the situation. And so what they're going to do is call in the National Guard and the Air Force and just cordon off this 60-mile radius around this New Mexico town, and everyone else is going to head back to Arizona, where at the very tip, along the Mexican border, they built wildfire. I love the trip there with Ruth. He's like, we built this road. You built the potholes? Well, we had to cover the tracks. A lot of big equipment has gone up and down this road. And in the desert, those tracks stay a long time. And it really builds the mystery of when you get there, she calls it a pot farm. (laughs) I laughed at that. Yeah, it's this little U.S. Department of Agriculture building. And again, you're going to go full sci-fi with hidden elevators. It reminded me of Men in Black. It did, but it also is just fulfilling the fantasy a lot of people probably thought Area 51 was like this, right? Like, they're just going to have tons of flying saucers down at the bottom of this. We believe this, right? Our government has secret tunnels. Us, you know, like, I feel like it's part of the mythology of this country. And it was said that they were built after 9-11, too. I've heard that extensively. Like, there are whole cities under this country in which nefarious scientific experiments are going on. Maybe they're not nefarious, but it feels that way because they're clandestine. I always liked this part. Even as a kid, when I had no political beliefs about such a thing, I just always loved the idea that it was the showpiece for this really cool five-layer lab. Oh, yeah. No, I am not going to complain about this lab. Like, this movie gets slow and it's really dry at times, but this lab is great. Even better than the Satan Bug Lab, which had some very impressive doors, but this is way better. (laughs) Yeah, I love this lab, but I am a little confused on one thing. I love the description of it and the way they all sit around a table and tell us about how cool this lab is, but they say each level is color-coded and the color is picked based on the psychological reaction to the color. Well, the first level is red. That is going to induce <laughs> it's panic. panic and, you. <laughs> you, you know, it's going to at least unsettle you. There are psychological studies. I mean, I've seen it why classrooms and medical facilities are the colors they are is because they're soothing. You pick this red. Anybody who stays there very long is just going to go nuts. I mean, there's only so many colors. What, what are they supposed to do? Lavender? They stick to the primary colors mostly. There must be some secondary ones in five levels, but... Yeah, they could definitely go pastel and people would be (laughs) a lot more soothed, I think, by the architecture. But again, there's not many people in this lab. I mean, this is a very lowly populated movie. These four characters are going to get a couple nurses and aides. But by and large, this is a four-person drama once we start going in here. And I love the fact that day two is literally just, it's going to take a long time to decontaminate you. The human body is dirty. And that is my question. My take is levels one through four, nothing happens but decontamination. Like all the experiments are on level five. Well, all of the work that they're going to do on the subjects, the survivors of the town and on the pod capsule. Yeah, that's all going to happen at a level where you can guarantee that you're not bringing in your own germs. Again, you want to make sure that you're not introducing 
anything into the experiment that would invalidate your results. And it's this decontamination process where I forgot Robert Wise directed Star Trek The Motion Picture, so that's not why it was on my mind, at least not consciously, but I was thinking Star Trek The Motion Picture because the fetishistic recreation (laughs) and the way the movie grinds to a halt, it hits a wall because we're not talking about the virus anymore. We're going through all these decontamination processes and burning off a layer of your skin and putting on bubble wrap helmets. I love that helmet they put on so their face and hair doesn't get burned. That crazy, yeah, weird diamond helmet or whatever that was. What I think it actually was is mobile home insulation, because I used to use that <laughs> over my windows, and it looks like silver bubble wrap. That's what that looked like. It looked, I was like, I know what that material is. But the way that it does this reminded me of like the what feels like 40 minutes of Captain Kirk going to the Enterprise, and you're like, wait, we're supposed to be fighting Klingons and V'ger. Why are we spending so many time with these glory shots of a ship? And that's It's the same level of fetishistic exploration of something not entirely relevant. But that is Michael Crichton. Again, all of this is in the book, and it's given the same level of detail. And I feel like Wise is... Like, if they had gone through this quickly, Wise would have gotten through it quickly. He was honoring the source material because his idea of bringing a book to life is to do what was on the page. And because this is about germs, I don't mind spending some time with all this decontamination and and all the science here because that is what this story is. But there are moments of... Again, humor, there's things that I'm kind of just smiling at. I'm never laughing out loud at this film, but, you know, whenever they try to talk to the computer and it doesn't understand what they say, it's just setting up little conflicts, like who's smarter, the scientist or the computers that they've built to control all this. Little moments like that that I enjoy. The paper clothes is still a fantasy I have. Like the idea that instead of, (laughs) you mean I could never do laundry again, I just tear it off and burn my clothes at the end of the night? Yes, please. I love it. Yeah, but you're wearing a freaking monochrome jumpsuit. Style of the future. Yeah, I agree. I I do love how, like, before they go to the next level, they always show that burning of the suit. It's really cool. Yeah, I like all of this stuff. I do think it can happen faster. But then again, you have to realize this is pre-Star Wars science fiction. This is more in the mode of Kubrick 2001 the slower, headier pace was in vogue. Like, I mean, Soylent Green, Silent Running with Bruce Dern, like it's all in a garden, like even the Star Trek TV series. It was more focused on the ideas and kind of explaining to the audience. There was a level of education that happens, a lecture, if you will, and the idea that you want to hold people's hands and go through it slowly so that they get concepts was much more important than just making it exciting. And I also think it, it works to just build this up. Again, it could go a little bit quicker, maybe. This film's just under two hours. I don't have too much problem with the pacing in that. But it does help build that suspense. What are they going to find down there? What is so scary that you got to go through all these steps to even be able to encounter it? I'm forgiving of the time it takes to do this because I think we're going to get back to the suspense thriller once they get through it. And no, I'm actually wrong. The first half an hour of this film is really gripping and exciting. And the rest of this, once we hit the lab, it's a very differently paced movie. But 
I do have to laugh. I literally laughed out loud when they're describing the lab and it has a nuclear bomb. And Dr. Hill, we're giving you the only key. I'm like, I know how this movie's going to end. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Telegraph very poorly. Again, do we need any of that? Of course you need something with nukes in it because that's going to scare people more than any alien virus. Like, it doesn't matter. It's 1971. You can talk all day long about how the Apollo 13 can bring back something to spread throughout the world and kill you. We are much more obsessed with nukes. And so to build that panic in here feels very much of its time. Like that you're going to have someone make a decision about blowing it all up or not. It gives it some kind of suspense for the end, but I think it's misplaced. And my understanding is what I hear them say, and I think it's kind of funny, is that they haven't even finished, like they're expanding this. They haven't finished everything. So you got to know where these key slots are. If you do need to turn off the nuke and we'll see him, he's like walking on level five and you just see like a display with wires sticking out because they haven't even installed the key lock yet yeah it's a newer facility so very very conveniently the place where they're all going to be they don't have the substation for him to be able to operate it ergo he's going to have to do the gymnastics that he'll do in the final moments of this film needlessly again why not just intercom somebody and have them use the other key that they left on level five I don't know. Yeah, and the fact that we get to see them put the key in, and the moment that key's in, that key cannot be removed now. It's like, (laughs) yeah, it is really poorly telegraphed, and it tells me that the end of this movie is going to be about a nuclear explosion, not about the virus. But it makes sense in the sense that I I understand the design of uh, you want to build something in there in case there's an outbreak. You don't want it to get to the surface. Having something to wipe it all out there is a logic to that. I do understand why someone would design wildfire to do that. Oh yeah. From a scientific perspective, it makes complete sense to me. You know, you're, if you look at it dispassionately and if you're an odd man, well, if you, to go to a different Trek film, the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. If it's going to save all life on earth to nuke this site, and you're in the middle of the desert. I mean, it's very lucky that that satellite didn't crash down in New York or L.A. or it landed in one of the least populous places on Earth. New Mexico? I mean, it could have been the thing. It could have gone to Antarctica and been found in 100 years. Sure, absolutely. I mean, but you could also say that maybe people in New York would have left it alone and not opened the damn thing. I mean, like, the, it was the <laughs> country doctor that just had to open the hatch and expose it. I mean, there's always that character, right? In the blob, there's always the guy that's going to poke the meteorite and so there you go day three we're going to do three things detect characterize and control so we're going to start with a very brutal scene in which we watch animals lives being sacrificed do they trank these animals because it looks like they're really dying no i had to look this up they suffocated the monkey. Oh, it looks very real. It's not fun to watch. Yeah, they had people from Animal Control on set approving this. So it wasn't like, I mean, they get signed off at the beginning of the movie. They have big lettering. Fire them. Fire those people. I agree. It's Those are bad animal rights people. <laughs> Fire yeah. them. <laughs> yes, it passed someone's standard for being okay what you could do to an animal on film. But yes, what they did was they filled a room full of carbon monoxide and you're watching a real monkey choke and pass out. So it didn't die. They they revived it, but they are really making it pass out. Correct. Ooh, it's hard to watch because that rat and that monkey, it, they look like they're really dying. 
Yeah, I had to stop because I'm like, that's not a puppet. How did they do this? I had to pause the movie and look that shit up because I was disturbed is the yes. thing. I was, yeah. It's not like I was wanting to know how they did the effect. I was actively disturbed that they may have killed a real monkey. The few movies actually like kill an animal on screen, but it does happen. But yeah, they had the warning prompted before you saw any of this footage, and yet I still don't feel good about it. Yeah, G-rated, bring the little kids for titties <laughs> yeah. and dead monkeys. And again, I saw this when I was a young kid, and I know so much about this movie was very upsetting and confusing, and I couldn't understand it. I do feel like when you get to day three, if you haven't bought in from the first two days, if you're like, this movie sucks, it's boring. Like day three is when it gets real scientific. It's like, we're going to try to just measure the size of this thing. Okay, can it get through this many microns, this many microns? Yeah, we're going to expose different animals to it. And do they live or die? Like, I do feel like if you want to learn about the scientific method, here's the segment of the movie to watch. And I'm, I'm not complaining because I bought into the movie. Like I'm finding all this fascinating. I'm just saying, if you have tuned out already this isn't going to win you over i had not tuned out but i actively started to in this section because i thought there would be more interpersonal drama between these scientists it seemed like ruth levitt would have more interaction with hall who she's very much against being there and she seemed kind of snarky to stone I thought there would be personality conflicts and scientific debate. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that I wanted a love triangle or anything out of these people. I'm saying different methodologies. You've got people who are different specialists. I thought there would be argument slash debate about what is the best way to go. Give me some level of drama. What they give is very dry. The standout character, the one who is entertaining in this third part, is the old man from the town. <laughs> I agree, yeah. While I appreciate the fact that they are going to hold this movie towards a, a higher rate of what scientists do and not glamorize or trivialize, you could still do all of that stuff and make the scientists themselves interesting. I don't think I could tell, without having read the book, what each person's thing is. I mean, I guess I would knew, know that Hall was about to perform some kind of surgery on someone. Oh, that's all I knew. The rest were just scientists. That's yeah. all I knew watching this. And I really feel like we needed to know what they believed. And Arnie's right. And some points clashing over the best way to proceed forward. We need drama always. It doesn't have to be soap opera, sudsy drama. It can be scientific debate, but it needs to be something that we can sink our teeth into. Otherwise, it's just a lot of experiments. And you also get this weird segment in day three where this movie's like in flashback. It's like during, what, a congressional hearing or something or some kind of testimony. And you get this weird aside that they weren't getting messages because there was a malfunction with the machine. The bell wouldn't ring to tell them there's an emergency message to read. But yet that dilemma doesn't play out till later. I guess they just had to set that up for some reason all of a sudden. Well, I think it's a funny joke. It is funny to me. Again, when every bureaucracy fails, I find that funny. Yeah, it's Michael Crichton. <laughs> Keep in mind, the film that he would make next is Westworld, which is all about how technology fails and <laughs> ends up killing the people that go to an amusement park. And here the idea is that, yes, there's a guy that's hired. His one job is to say, hey, we got an answer on whether or not we're dropping the bomb. And because there is a paper jam in the printer, the literal bug in the system, they don't know this. And it creates a problem when they touch base much later. And they also miss out on the fact that there has been another casualty, that someone flew over the town and then crashed. It's that same pilot from the beginning, right? Yeah, it is. Yeah, Wilson, they call him. 
Yeah, we do see that green goo is pouring out of his mask and his dials are all spinning around and they'll pull out a black box and try to figure out what's going on. These scientists won't know that. They won't be able to add him to their profile of infant and old man. Yeah, and this is where I do get a little bit lost in the science because they're like, it's not the rubber, it's a plastic synthetic polychron, and it's similar to skin. Like, uh, I'm like, okay, let's calm it down a little bit here. It gets to be a little bit much at times where I just stop following it. Oh, I'm right there with you, Jacob. At this point, I'm like struggling to hold on and to follow what they're saying I think here, reading the book would have been very helpful because you can read a book and you vary the pace at which you read based upon the, you know, difficulty of the concepts and things. And here, they're just mumbling this jargon. I'm like, why did the mask disintegrate and turn into a green version of the magic sand? Well, here's the important parts to take away. One, they didn't get all of it and bring it back to the lab. Some of that virus is still out there and spreading and spreading high. Like this plane was 20,000 feet above the town. It shouldn't be contracting the virus, but it's telling you that the virus is mutating. It's multiplying, it's growing and it's getting into our atmosphere. And I feel like we did need more scenes of that spread. Maybe another town gets hit or more people down the road get impacted. We needed to have the sense that this was a calamity that was growing wider and wider out of control and the president really was being pressured to drop that nuke before it was couldn't be covered by one bomb. But it is during this time that they find out it's this green stuff on a rock and something about no amino acids or proteins, but how does it live? All the all at this point I'm like, okay, so it's some alien germ or something. You see Ruth like watching cultures, are they growing? And she seems hypnotized. I actually thought like these aliens were hypnotizing her, but there's going to be the reveal about the epilepsy later. But I'm like, oh, are they like controlling these scientists all of a sudden? Well, here's the thing that the book touches on. It's not a huge part of it. There's lots of digressions. I'll just put it that way. There's lots of theories that are expounded upon and ideas and what it could be. And one thing that gets speculated on is what is this virus? And it's thought that perhaps it was meant to not infect and hurt people, but to communicate. And so the idea was that maybe what's making it mutate is that it's trying to integrate with the living beings of the environment it finds itself and trying to manifest in a way that it can actually talk in our language. I thought that that might actually happen. I actually think that might even be a way to go, like to have a character that might actually be possessed by the virus or give voice to the virus. I don't know. That seems like a smart thing to do. I thought it might be going there, too, because I think in day one, Stone does say that he has this theory that it could be a friendly alien Mm -hmm. trying to contact them, that it's not necessarily malevolent where it's trying to kill him. Right. I definitely want to know a whole lot more about what this virus is and what these space people that might have spread it were than this even the book ever really gets into. And I think that was something that if Robert Wise had the idea of going beyond the scope of the book, they could have brought to this movie. But because he was just trying to make the book on screen, it's an idea that gets undersold. And consequently, it's not a particularly interesting alien. I mean, once you understand that it's just a crystal, Mm -hmm. yeah, then it seems to be about, well, yeah, the third thing they're trying to do, containment. 
Well, how do we stop it mutating? You definitely don't want to drop that nuke because they know once it goes under the electron microscope, that's going to make it grow. And I knew it was going to be aliens. They they have a weird dream sequence on the way to day three. And we see one of them was a teacher or teaching a seminar where we saw people under a microscope that said, take me to your leader. And he's like, you laugh, but this could be true. I'm like, okay, okay. So much like the nuke at the end, they showed their hand on this one. How do you mean? Once I saw the dream sequence where they talk about little aliens under the microscope saying, take me to your leader, I knew that it was going to be aliens in that rock. Okay, but we never do talk to them. I guess it's like close encounters with the ship never coming at the end. That's what I I would say. Like, I feel like <laughs> I want to have a da-da-da-da-da with them, and it, that's... We're not going to get that. We're just going to wipe them out. Like, that's all that we really care about here. And the key to that is the the key to understanding why we have these two survivors. And it really falls for Hall to be the one to figure out the important thing here. I do love those suits that Hall and the nurse have to get into. Like, they crawl through these tubes of plastic and, I guess, just slide into his suit so they can interact with the old man and the baby. Yeah, and he gets frisky. I mean, this Peter Jackson, once he starts feeling better, he's grabbing ass and being like, I want to get you out of that suit. Oh, he was he was asking to see that nurse's legs before. He's like, I'll give you some information if I can see your legs. Well, he also said he'd give information if he could have butt. And I'm thinking he wanted the nurse's ass. And they say, no, you can't smoke in here. I'm like, oh, yeah, cigarette butt. But then he grabs her ass and gives the information. I'm like, wait, maybe I was right the first time. Do people know what sterno is? When you go to like banquets and you see those trays of food and they've lit a little like it looks like a blue flame candle underneath. Mm-hmm. What's burning is Sterno. This man has a habit of drinking that kind of alcohol mixed with fruit juice. That's what squeezes. It's a hobo drink. It was a prohibition drink, right? Did people pay for this? I thought hobos drank this when they couldn't get to the actual alcohol. I think during prohibition, you you paid for whatever you could get with alcohol in it. I was I was thinking during prohibition, this is what you did if you didn't go to the bootleggers. Yeah, perhaps, perhaps. But anyway, because he probably was alive during that era and enjoying that cocktail and kept it up to deal with his ulcers and his pain, that this is what protected him. He kept his blood acid levels, his pH levels, at a point where he would not be impacted in the same way that everyone else was. This is like promoting huffing. This would be like if I made a movie today and the survivor inhaled glue all the time. You know, it's not, that's the person who you want to see die is the one who's misusing chemicals. He's not going to live long anyway. Yeah, there's a lot of bad advice. They talk about that there was someone with diabetes, but they didn't take their insulin. So the ketoacidosis kicked in and like killed some of the bug. I think that was one of the people that was able to commit suicide. They didn't die right away. Like, no, take your insulin. Don't drink the sterno. Feed babies. Do <laughs> Yeah, the medical mystery of this, it's interesting, it's tantalizing. I mean, maybe you're thinking in a slasher movie terms of like, the good girl is the one that lives. Here, it's the abnormal ones that live. It's the ones that aren't living like normal society. And so putting that piece together, putting that mystery together, what Hall is doing is I think the stuff that's most understandable for the audience. I don't know that everyone else understands what these guys are doing, poking the green specks of paint on the rock. 
Well, yeah, they explain here that it can grow because of the atomic power because it feeds on everything. Is it the crystals? Are they going to be like giant crystals? Or does that just mean like these little microscopic crystals are going to multiply throughout the atmosphere? Well, again, it started out as something that gets into your lungs and coagulates your blood. So like what the crystals do is essentially clot you and that's it. They're the end. But what they do is they put it into a computer model. And keep in mind, this is way early in the idea. Primitive of, computer model. Yeah, yes, exactly. <laughs> and they get the number 601. Overload. Too much data. What I take from that mean is just that it's going to replicate so much that if you give it a blast of nuclear radiation, the world's going to be covered in it in a matter of minutes. But it's not lethal at this point. What we find out day four, lucky enough for Dutton, is when he goes back to the autopsy room, they're exposed to it in there, he and the rat, but it has already changed. I love that because they're wanting to experiment and say, oh, put the air in and let it just breathe real fast. Let's see if you live. Like, you experiment with your own life. Yeah, they've given him pure oxygen, because I guess he can't survive on that, but Hall wants to turn that off and just, yeah, breathe irregularly to survive. Yeah, hyperventilating will change your acid level. It'll also make you pass out, and, you know, I mean, just look at the monkey. Like, you don't want to breathe carbon dioxide. It's just a bad idea. I feel like they rush through a lot here at the end. A lot of these concepts... You know, there's some lip service paid to the fact that this is when they're finding out Wildfire also was trying to get bioweapons and maybe they're trying to protect this. Yeah, it seems like that should have been a big moment of conflict with these characters, but no, it's kind of just thrown out there. And I'm struggling to remember my high school chemistry class. Alkaline, acid, base. I'm like, what? I just have to, like, let it wash over me and nod and be like, uh-huh. This makes as much sense as when Jordy LaForge was going to realign the dilithium crystals with the sensor array what, to do a neutrino blast. I'm like, uh-huh. Yeah, the important thing is these crystals could only survive in a narrow pH balance in the blood. So if you get it too acidic or too alkaline, which is that the same as base? That's how I took it. I was trying to think back to high school chemistry too. (laughs) Then it will die. So there's a lot of lip service there. That was my takeaway. Narrow pH level, make the blood go extreme. Either way, you're good. But that doesn't seem like a good solution is, all right, let's make everybody drink Sterno. <laughs> no, no, that, and they're not advocating that. They're not <laughs> saying everyone needs to cry until they can't breathe or, <laughs> yeah, drink this hobo cocktail. They're trying to at least at this moment save Dutton's life, and they realize he's going to be okay because this virus has now become something else. That's the good news. The bad news is it also means it can break through seals. And in the same way that it was tearing up the airplane, it's now tearing through this supposedly impervious lab. Like all of a sudden it's now on different floors and different rooms. And that's triggering the big computer to say, oh, we need to set off the nuclear blast and wipe this thing out before it gets to the surface. So help me understand this. The virus now is not lethal at all to anyone ever. It now is just going to kill rubber? It's going to continue to mutate now that it's gone through a person that's hyperventilated or, you know, whatever. It's reacted to the body differently. And again, if they were exploring the idea that this is an alien trying to communicate, I would say that it's trying to adapt to the environment so that it can better understand the subject. It's not really seems to be what happens here. 
Yeah, now I'm confused because I heard a lot of talk about it mutating to a non-lethal strand, but I thought the lethal strand was still around. That's why there's this exciting chase scene with lasers to turn off the nuke because they don't want the lethal strand. Because who cares? Like, they're going to take measures to get rid of the non-lethal strand. Who cares if it's non-lethal at that point? And it is hard to grasp because I do think that any virus movie, you expect the outbreak to be the threat. Oh my God, the virus is out. This is the bad thing. No, that doesn't matter at all. The bad thing is we have a artificially intelligent computer that has decided because there is an outbreak, I'm going to blow everything up. And what's weird is the scientists aren't worried about themselves. They're like, oh, well, if this radiation hits the virus, who knows what will happen? True enough, but I do know what it will happen to you. You will die. Like no one seems to be taking this as like, I've got to get out of here. I don't want to be irradiated. Yeah, for setting so much up with this odd man theory and that the only person you could trust is a, a single person with no kids, no family. Well, none of them seem to care about their families. They're all very nonchalant about it. Well, that would go down to having characters who actually have conflict and, you know, things like that. We'd have to have some conflict. We haven't had any of that so far. Why are we going to have one of them be like, yes, let the new go? Because the movie has changed to that kind of story where all of a sudden we should be worrying about their motivations because it's about stopping a nuke instead of using science to defeat a germ. Yeah, but it's just everybody's on the same page. Don't blow up the nuke. These scientists agree far too readily. And social justice warriors don't flame Crichton because he's advocating that single white men make the best decisions. He's already dead. Like, you can't get him. He's, he's done. He's canceled. Yeah, I do, canceled. <laughs> I do think that that is a curious advocation. Troubling? I, I try to keep it gender neutral. I said a single person. Yeah, but then you know how it comes. It I know. Very much like basically me, Michael Crichton, I make the most sensible decisions. I'm this character. I was a surgeon. Blah, blah, blah. Uh, it's a little pompous, but who can notice when we also have an epileptic seizure going on? Levitt throughout this movie has been triggered by strange lights and strobing, and she's tried to hide that because I guess she wouldn't be invited to the program. She would be considered too much of a risk if they found out she was epileptic. But she didn't want to go in the first place. I agreed. Oh, I took it that it would have blackballed her with any science job. And I don't know if that's true or not. I don't know if there has been a change over time with the way we've looked at epilepsy. That seems like scientists, above all, should be a little bit more understanding about such a condition. I mean, not believe that it's demons or anything, right? You know, science, like it's a medical condition. The point is, she has an epileptic fit in the hall, and hilarious reaction from all the medical team, run, she's infected, let's not help her, I want out. <laughs> Every time there was a flashing light, she'd stare hypnotically at the screen. I was hoping for alien possession, like it was going That's to- That's what I thought was going on. Control her mind. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it didn't need to do that, but it is a strange way of bringing that idea to a close that, okay, like we've just exposed that the medical staff, who should be wearing scrubs and masks, right? If they're worried about infection, they should be running towards this woman. Oh, you're infected. Let me help you. Not like we're out of here. Peace. But whatever. It's, it's a strange climax. The fact that the chase is really about getting to level three so I can put a key in a slot and not to contain the virus is all kinds of wrong. Like, it's just bizarre. 
But I get why there's a nuke, but why are there suddenly Superman 3 lasers shooting (laughs) at people who want to stop it? No, it's not for people. It's in case animals break out of the fifth level and get in the stairwell. Like, they say it's to shoot the animals so they don't get to the top level and infect people. I'll tell you what it is. This is like a CrossFit gym for spies. Like, this is awesome. (laughs) James Bond needs to, like, do this on his days off. There's, like, poison gas coming out and... Yeah, like those are real lasers. Apparently, they there was some concern on set that if you looked into it directly, you could go blind or something. Like they didn't have the digital effects to be able to add it in post. I mean, they're almost killing animals in this film. Why not almost blind you too? <laughs> and no one knows this actor or likes him. He never really works again. <laughs> so why not just take him out here? But yeah, I remember always thinking as a child, the reason why his vision goes wonky is he's been infected with the virus and he's got to go get the medicine or something And you know what? That's what it should be, right? Like, my childhood brain understood how this should work. It should not be this wild goose chase to turn off a machine that got triggered unnecessarily. Yeah, the fact that he gets, like, shot through the cheek with a laser and (laughs) is woozy. Yeah, he should be trying to, like, hyperventilate to slow down the virus killing him. It it should be about the virus, not about lasers. Yes, yes, absolutely. This is... And him almost dropping the key. This is just gone completely rote because it seems like, I guess if this is true to the book, Crichton didn't know how to sell an ending that was exciting dealing with only a virus. It had to have a nuke and it had to have a chase. And again, I want to point out, like he pops up on level three, he finally gets there and he's like, help me. The nurse sees like the green of the laser on his cheek and runs in the other direction. These are the worst staff ever in a medical (laughs) crisis. They're like, oh, there's an outbreak. We're gone. But of course, with eight seconds to spare, he gets that key in there. All is saved. So retro. It's always these days one second, maybe two (laughs) seconds, eight seconds. Wow. It's time to spare. Yeah, he should have done a couple more laps in the core. (laughs) Way too easy. And, And again, just not a satisfying. You want some kind of, yeah, something to get the adrenaline pumping. But like, I hate to say this, but Satan Bug had it a little bit more correct. Have the virus in a vial and if you know, the bad guy gets out the door with it or something. Like, you want to have it more about containment and less about silly nuclear fear. There was a line at the very beginning in the Senate hearing where they're talking about how come this military experiment was kept secret from scientists. And one congressman says, I've dealt with scientists before. What that was referencing was the Manhattan Project, where one of the scientists there leaked the bombed plants to the Russians. Maybe if we'd had an evil Russian scientist, I know that's rote, but so is uh, this with the self-destruct system. Something to, again, have human drama versus this would have been better. And you talk about Star Trek, and I was thinking about V'ger or something. Like, I feel like you needed that V'ger ending here. Okay, the virus got out. Like, maybe it changes the world. Maybe, like, in a good way. Like, maybe it actually does something that, like, brings world peace. It melts all weapons or undoes nuclear technology or something hippy-dippy. It's the 70s. You want to embrace that no-nukes thing. But the idea that, like, okay, it got out, but because it mutated into something non-lethal, it did something beautiful. I thought they could go with that. Instead, we get, oh, don't worry, it's going to rain and that'll kill it. The end. Yeah, I don't even understand that. They're going to seed clouds to make it rain. (laughs) We'll make it go into salt water and destroy it. 
Yeah, I'm confused. They they say they're it's going over the Pacific. So is it killing all rubber or is it killing people in California? I mean, it's got to go a ways. Arizona's pretty landlocked. Yeah, it's got to go over Vegas. It's got to go over L.A. <laughs> Again, they didn't have the right ending for this in the book or in this movie. It's an opportunity. I'm hoping that when we get to the miniseries remake, they really rethink it and say we can improve. Yeah, because it feels like they just go for that scare tactic at the end here. You know, what do we do to prevent the next outbreak? And then you go back to that computer simulation and 601. Like, it's, it almost seems futile. Like, you can't do anything. Something's going to get us at some point. And I do feel like a lot of sci-fi movies in the 50s, you know, like Body Snatchers or something, had a character saying, you're next, watch the skies. Like, the thing, everybody was always, that was just the way you ended a, a movie like this. We, we've banged the gong, we've warned you, we want you to be left thinking about how this is a real threat, even though this has resolved itself, deus ex machina, the next time, well, that could be coronavirus. Yeah, except the next time, which little aliens are coming from outer space again is how this movie sells it. I'm like, did they, were they wrong? Did it get over the ocean and mutate again? I don't know. 601, game over. So Jacob Stewart, do you recommend catching the Andromeda strain? Jacob. I mean, I think you have to definitely have a a certain patience for this movie. And if you find the scientific method and, and really getting into the details of this alien virus interesting, then I think you're going to enjoy this one. I, I enjoyed it. I got into the science, even though you don't have all those character moments that you would typically have in a film. This one is more about the science, so I didn't mind that and that it went so deep. Sometimes... A little too deep or maybe just try to get through it too quickly and that was the problem at times it does lose me but i was there for most of it and we talked about this ending this ending i think is the weak point i wish it was stronger i i, I wish it was more about yeah this alien contact that's what this film ultimately is about which i wasn't expecting aliens on a satellite coming to earth and how do we deal with that um dealing with lasers to stop a nuke seems weird but we fully discussed that but yeah i like the the little stylistic elements of split screen and this synth score that they got throughout. I get mostly into this film. There are times where I, I'm taken out because, again, the jargon is a little bit too much or the, where the plot goes, it, it doesn't feel right for this kind of story. But I could give this one a mild recommend. Stuart. Yeah, it's telling that the film ends on that flashing 601, which is code for data overload. I do feel like Andromeda Strain is going to overload the audience on data about viruses transmission, microscopic life, space, wildfire, nukes, all that stuff. I love the fact that it's so nerdy. I love the fact that we have somebody that knows what they're talking about and did the research and insist on putting it here, but it is a lot to take in, particularly for an audience that's used to sci-fi post-Star Wars, not pre-Star Wars. It was a very different time for science fiction with 2001 A Space Odyssey particularly setting the tone for how these stories should be told. Now, I like 2001 and I do like this movie. I'm going to recommend it. I do feel like Wise could do more to dramatize the debates that are going on. And yeah, I do feel like sometimes the leisurely tour of the set goes on a little bit too long, but I do love it. As someone that appreciates retro, I mean, all the analog details, if you like studying the background, if you're not going to get worried about the fact that the movie has a very slow pulse rate and will never get to be that very exciting, I think you can have a good time with it. 
And I, I would say the one thing that I would like to see with the remake, the thing I'm crossing my fingers for, is that given that this is a close encounter, as much as it is a pandemic story, I do think we need to know more about the alien virus and the aliens that created this virus or are this virus. This movie hurts itself with the ending it gives it and not giving voice to that alien life. But it wasn't too much of a strain. I enjoyed it. Mild recommend. The movie breaks itself down into four days. And it's funny to me because I felt like each day had a distinct feel in the movie. And day one was like strong recommend, absolute strong recommend. I'm really into it. I'm loving the assembling the team. I want to know what the virus is. Day two, I'm still pretty into it. It's, you know, you're getting into the town. It's really still recommend territory, though I'm a little bit confused about the old coot. But then we hit the wall with the decontamination, and I'm like, all right, let's get back to the suspense thriller. Day three, you're still kind of in recommend territory, but it's getting real slow. All the excitement and the ticking clock seem to be gone. It's just, let's look in microscopes, and let's (laughs) talk about if we feed the baby or not, and let's suffocate the monkey. And then day four just... It jumps a shark with the overabundance of techno jargon coming all at once mixed with a lame nuclear warhead ending. I can give it a weak recommend. There's just a bit more good here than bad, but it's a shame because the opening of the film, the first act was so damn strong. I'm like, this movie's great. Oh, shit. But it's a weak recommend. (laughs) Yeah, I, I'm, I think we saw this, all saw the same movie, and there's a real good opportunity to improve. The, the goodness that I feel about it is, if they, we must watch a TV movie remake, like, there's real opportunity to do better. Yeah, I felt for sure that, let's face it, every TV remake we've watched is lesser than the film, right? With, although I may have recommended doing the TV series and not the Lynch movie, but... Other than Dune, every TV remake we've seen has been a chore. Yeah, The Shining being The Shining example. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But here, I know it stars Benjamin Bratt, and that's not usually a good thing, Uh but I have hope. Hush your mouth, I love Catwoman. (laughs) (laughs) Do you remember he was in Doctor Strange? No. (laughs) Exactly. Oh, that's right, he is. Benjamin Bratt? Yeah, he's the basketball player that he's able to play basketball. Well, he's not a basketball player, but he's seen on the basketball court because meditation made him walk again. Nope. No memory. Okay. (laughs) Completely gone. Erased. Yeah, that's about how memorable an actor Benjamin Bratt is, and that's why I'm a little nervous. But yeah, if they stick to the story but add a little bit more character and stuff that Crichton didn't put in the book... Yeah, you got to go beyond the book. The book is the book, and I enjoyed it more than I enjoy this movie. It works because it's a more data dump driven story on the page more than this movie. Let's hopefully imagine that they're going to realize in 2008 when we get there that they got to do a lot more to juice this thing up, sex it up, something, make it exciting in a way that audiences expect. We'll get there in three weeks. Next week, we're going to the 80s. 
with Warning Sign. A little movie, didn't do that particularly well, but I saw it a lot on cable. I have very distinct memories. Is it as exciting as this one from your childhood memories? I'll put it this way. If folks have been wanting a zombie movie, this is as close as we're going to get with that. And if you want something a little less scientific and a little bit more fun, come back with us to the 80s this Friday for more Tom Cruise reviews. Yeah, this is the centerpiece, right? Top Gun. It doesn't get bigger for Tom Cruise than this movie. Biggest movie of 1986. Maybe still the biggest movie of his career. It definitely changed the trajectory of his career. And we're going to cover it in one big show this Friday. You can find the details and support our show at nowplayingpodcast.com forward slash donate. And that means every week for most of the summer, you're going to get a bonus show. And it's going to be... Stuart, I think you said it's fun Fridays versus more serious Tuesdays. We're not going to be talking about pandemics on Fridays because we've already reviewed Mission Impossible 2 with Chimera and Bellerophon. So we can do Top Gun instead. And we have a switch up. We don't know what our Platinum series is going to be. So if you become a gold or platinum donor in April or earlier, if you're already a donor, you get to vote what our new Platinum series is going to be. There are four choices since we, A Quiet Place 2 has moved far off. We are going to replace that retrospective and we have four options and they're in four different genres. For comedy, we have Jumanji. There, there's four movies, I guess. There's the Robin Williams one. Oh, Z- yeah, Zathura, which is written by the same guy who wrote Jumanji the book. They're kids' books. Yeah, it's, it's, it's still about a board game come to life by the same author. Yeah, it's a board game that comes to life, but it's in space. <laughs> yeah, it's it's the same. It counts. Way better than the original <laughs> Jumanji, though. It's got a great, like, incest storyline. It's John Favreau, one of his early films. It, oh, is it? Okay. And if you love in Top Gun, I don't know why you wouldn't want four Iron Eagles. See, since we can't do Top Gun 2 until 2021... Not that I'm bitter about that. We can do Iron Eagle instead. And come on, isn't Lou Gossett Jr. just about as good as Val Kilmer? Oh, way better. Maybe better. Uh, Yeah, it's hard to judge. For all the wrong reasons, but better. Yeah. Let me put it this way. I would love to see Lou Gossett do the same. (laughs) (laughs) For horror, it's been highly requested by our listeners. This is a chance to make it happen. Sleepaway Camp. Yeah, it's one of our earliest successes was going and doing those Friday the 13th. It's kind of a callback to that, except I only know the first one, but there are five. I don't know how you get five out of that premise. I have seen the first one as well. And finally, sci-fi, one of Stewart's favorites, Invasion of the Body Snatchers. A little bit of horror, too. It's kind of sci-fi horror, but yeah, it definitely is a classic from 1956 that became, I'd argue, another classic in the 70s, and then it came back in the 90s and in the aughts as well. So gold-level donors and higher get to vote for our platinum-level series through the month of April, so you can donate, support our show, and get a say in what our next retrospective is. We know the times are really tough i mean some of us are going through that ourselves right now we understand completely if you can't donate this time around but if you can it would really help us out so if you're in a situation where you're able head to nowplayingpodcast.com forward slash donate or nowplayingpatron.com we appreciate you know even a dollar sent our way we appreciate if you can do ten dollars you get to hear a review of us right now and we'll get to Candyman later on 
And if you do 25, you get all these Tom Cruise reviews as well. If you do 35, you're basically getting a bonus show every week for spring and summer. So thank you so much to everyone who supported us so far. And we hope that you enjoy the bonus shows that are our thank you for those who donate. Yeah, you know, I think of Fridays as the fun day. You know, this virus series is kind of cool, but it's also really depressing. And maybe you don't want to be thinking about this what's happening right now and Fridays it's like oh the 80s this is so much more fun and yeah I think just the vacation of it yes if you can join us for Fridays it is just a lot more easygoing. and so until next time thank you for joining us we hope you stay happy and healthy all reports continue to indicate that the experiment was successful then we can feel confident your so-called biological crisis is over. There's no guarantee that another so-called biological crisis won't occur again. Hmm. What do we do about that? Precisely, sir. What do we do? Thank you for listening to this episode of Now Playing Podcast. We hope you've enjoyed the show. Hey, John. Hey, you leaving us here, are you? Come back to NowPlayingPodcast.com each week for another new movie review podcast. It's probably fair to say whoever it is, we've gotten their attention. What happens next is anybody's guess. Also at our site, you can find hundreds of other movie reviews, including Star Wars, A Nightmare on Elm Street, Independence Day, The Avengers Films, Back to the Future, Batman, Superman, The Fast and the Furious, and more. Never believe this could really happen. Well, it has happened. Now Playing Podcast is a show without any sponsors or ads. We rely on support from listeners like you to keep Now Playing operating. We fix it or we'll die. You can donate to the show and, as our thank you, receive bonus podcasts. Over 150 bonus movie reviews are available to choose from on the Now Playing Podbean page, including Alien, Night of the Living Dead, Jurassic Park, Ghostbusters, Indiana Jones, Lord of the Rings, Psycho, Troll, and more. So, okay. Isolate and identify. Find a full list of available bonus shows at nowplayingpodcast.com forward slash donate. It could change everything. You can also join the Now Playing Patron campaign through our Podbean site. Patrons of $10 or more get a new exclusive movie review every month, plus even more perks, including one where you can pick a movie for our hosts to review. Find the details on our website. This is a code red emergency. You can help us out by leaving us a five-star review on Stitcher, Podbean, iTunes, or your other podcast store of choice. I listen for Little Bell in here. Dingley. That means a message coming in us for the wildfire team. Precisely an MCM communication. I'm expecting one. Yes, sir. Top priority. You can follow Now Playing on Facebook and Twitter, where we post announcements of new episodes and where the hosts post movie mini reviews. Links to our social media pages are available on our homepage. Everything seen and heard in that room is top secret. Yes, sir. Now Playing Podcast is produced by Arnie Carvalho. I would say he's under a lot of stress right now. Associate produced by Jason Latham. The survivor. Too bad he can't tell us what happened. Now playing is edited by Arnie. He did good, okay? I mean, yeah, he's not perfect, but he deserves credit for what he did.
Now playing credits, read by Brock. I need you to talk to me. Talk to me and I can't help you. The opinions expressed on Now Playing are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the opinion of Venganza Media Incorporated. What a world we're making. I can see why the kids are dropping out. Venganza Media Incorporated is not affiliated with the motion pictures reviewed or otherwise referred to herein. Release me immediately. I'll have my lawyer well, I don't have this. to let you like... speak to a lawyer. I don't even have to acknowledge that you are in our custody. All movie clips and music included in this podcast are the intellectual property of the respective copyright holders. They are included here for the purpose of review and no infringement is intended. Oh, this is so sick. Look at that thing. Now Playing Podcast is an exclusive trademark of Vinganza Media Incorporated. Now Playing is a Vinganza Media production, copyright 2020, and no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Vinganza Media Incorporated. All rights reserved. It's a colossal mistake. Tell the president I said so. The president doesn't trust science. You know, you said the Omega Man and it was more exciting. My immediate thought was, well, why did it, why aren't we reviewing that film for 1970? Oh, wait, we, we reviewed that <laughs> We did that one. Yeah, you can look that up. I Am Legend is what, what series that's a part of. People do know who Charles Stutton is, right? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I think it's kind of obscure. You talk about our listeners? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I know you do. I remember Alien, Alien 3 and 3. Rock. Yeah. <laughs>